0: for 50, 60 years in pumping CO2 on the ground to get more oil and gas out. That's a little bit oxymoronic for what we're trying to do now in terms of fossil fuels. Companies like ourselves you know, are now saying, uh, reuse is a, it's sort of like, really isn't that just obvious that it makes much more sense to, to do something with that CO2?
1: Welcome back to the Decarb Connect podcast. I am very happy to be joined by Martin Keeley from Carbon Free, their chief executive, who I have just discovered today is a British person by stealth living in uh, San Antonio. I think that's right, isn't it, Martin? It is, yes. Great. Well, thank you for joining us. We're going to be having a conversation partly about carbon free and the CO2 reuse technology that they have developed, but also more broadly about the CO2 reuse market. Uh, Martin is coming with uh, an embarrassment of experience in this space from being CEO of Tarsal Chemicals in the US to a very active advisor and board member and has now been leading the charge at carbon free. It looks like you're coming up for your fourth fourth anniversary sometime soon.
0: I am, it's (laughs) shocking.
1: Well, let's start, as I normally do, with my classic lazy podcaster's question, which is, can you give it a little bit of a sense of how you've arrived at this point in time? You know, I've hinted at your background in chemicals, but, you know, you've still made this decision at some point to come into the decarbonisation space, into this particular aspect of CO2 reuse. Can you paint a picture of how professionally and personally you've got there? And then we'll talk a bit more about carbon-free.
0: Great. Absolutely. Yeah. i am delighted to be talking to you, Alex. Um, yeah, so I'm a, I'm a chemical engineer originally by background. I spent most of my career in industrial chemicals. So large manufacturing, uh, space. So very aware of, um, energy and emissions. Not so much really about CO2 probably, to be honest, for most of the last 30 years. Um, spent a little bit of time in clean, in, in uh, clean tech and the water technology. And then, then most recently in, um, uh, large mining and chemicals operations here in the US. with with target chemicals. And then I really wanted to move back into into clean tech and really climate tech is the is the, is the biggest challenge we have of the day. Um, and so carbon-free was a perfect coming together for me of we're a chemicals business, and we're a disruptive chemicals business, making uh, chemicals a different way, um, carbon neutral chemicals, um, and we're capturing CO2 to do that. So it was a, it was a perfect, A combination of sort of everything I'd done up to this point.
1: And uh, tell me a bit about that move from Tata into carbon free. I feel like if you were going to pick two extremes in terms of size of company uh, and so forth, how how did you navigate that? And are you now used to being back in in that kind of scale up environment?
0: Yeah, it's interesting because I I bounced both ways. I was in a a small startup, clean tech in the UK, then moved back to Tata and then back again. So there can be. Frustrations of being in large multinationals. Um, certainly, one of the reasons for uh, that there was a nice segue was one of the things we were doing at Tata a lot was a was a huge ramp up in interest in decarbonisation. Um, we were one of the early companies looking at internal pricing on carbon, so all future capital projects had to had to price in essentially the, the CO2 emission impact. Um so I was getting very sort of interested in this space. But when you're in a big uh big multinational, things move slowly. Uh decisions are ultimately you're always dependent on somebody else. Uh so um the the move into a you know early stage startup technology company was was just perfect for me because it made it put me much more in control and I felt I could drive things faster. A whole range of other frustrations. <laughs> but um You know, this was was an exciting thing. And we've been around for some time, you know. Um, Our original inventor has been working on this for 17, 18 years, so it's not as if it it was completely new.
1: I just want to take this opportunity to thank our production partner and sponsor, Jano Media, for their support in delivering the Decarb Connect podcast. Over the last few years, they've helped us to facilitate great conversations that connect us with our audience. And their skills and expertise mean that we get to concentrate exclusively on generating the content, the conversations that engage, inform and inspire. Okay, so well, that's a good, um, a good kind of avenue into understanding a little bit more about the business. So you've mentioned that it's um, designed to create these carbon neutral chemicals can you tell us a little bit more about the origin story but also where, where you are at the moment both in terms of size of team and then the types of projects engaged in
0: joe jones uh, a texan from a long line of sort of oil families out to the west and he was uh, he he started on this 17 or 18 years ago believing that mineralization was Was the way forward for CO2. And of course, it wasn't, wasn't the big uh, problem and issue that's seen as today. But turning them into, into useful products that would, would permanently uh, lock up the CO2 uh, was certainly certainly something about the pattern of this. And we developed our first generation technology and we have an operating commercial scale plant here in San Antonio, Texas. And we capture CO2 from a cement plant and we make baking soda, uh, sodium bicarbonate. um, and that's uh, sodium chemistry is a is a great way of uh, of capturing and using CO2. Doesn't quite have the same permanence because you're re-releasing CO2 when you use the baking soda, and quite small small global markets. So uh, the application and um, ability to to expand and uh, scale is not huge. Um, so as the interest over the last couple of years has really sort of accelerated and ramped up. Um, we're now focused on our second generation technology, which is calcium and magnesium chemistry. So here we're making calcium carbonate, calcium carbonate limestone, um, but we're making not sort of cement and aggregate grades. We're making a very high quality calcium carbonate called PCC, and it's used as a as a filler in um, uh, paper, and paints, uh, plastics, uh, also in food products. It's the um, for indigestion. It's the in the U.S., they're called Tums, I think, well, what are they called in the U.K. or Europe? But, uh, Rennies. Basically... Rennies, there we go, Rennies, <laughs> exactly, yes. Um, so that's what, uh, that's what, that's what high-purity calcium carbonate did. But it's got, a, it's got a much better pricing position. It's a specialty chemical and a much, much bigger market than the Basin Soda. Um, so that's SkyCycle, which is our second-generation technology that we're now, we're now pushing forward with.
1: And I, I know some of the um, disruptive tech we look at has particular, either to do with its chemistry or, or the way that it works, it can only work with certain types of um, CO2 output. What What's the story for you? Like, can you, you're obviously have this working example in cement at the moment. What What different routes are there?
0: Great question. Um, one of the real uh, beauties of our technology is it's, um, it's sort of basic inorganic chemistry. So it's sort of what I call like sort of, you know, and high school bench chemistry you know you add a plus b and make C and then add C plus b and you to know, d and um, so the we can really take the flue gas from pretty well any process um we can also take it what would I call dirty flue gas, so we can take it untreated because a lot of um industrial flue gases have have other contaminants in them they have and um, you know socks and knocks and particulates particularly very big these days um in terms of uh the impact that they have um, you know, on asthma and other things you know, in the local area of factories. We, can, we just take that as, as an untreated gas, raw gas, and we, we bubble it through a, a liquid column. Um, and that differentiates us a lot from other technologies which require uh, very specific types of CO2 or, or pre-treatment or pre-cleaning. And that's what makes us really such a great solution for hard to abate the industrial sector.
1: Mm. Well, the, the CO2 utilisation space, I have to say, is that I have a bit of a soft spot for because it, it feels like we are in the kind of early stages, the foothills, if you like, of what in 30, 40 years is, is going to be the well, obviously, market. Yeah, um, yeah. So it is new, though. So tell me a bit about, you know. What's your sense of the progress that's been made? What sort of, whether that's in the types of applications or the, or the market in general, the last sort of, I don't know, 12 to 24 months, what what have you seen as some of the kind of major, major kind of step ups that have been made?
0: No, I think you're absolutely right. I think it's it, uh, particularly for your CCU utilisation, reuse um, is still very nascent. Um, I mean, the way carbon capture the way the industry and companies have responded to the, the commitments, essentially, that we made. I mean, you know, every, pretty well every country, every company has now made a carbon net zero um, commitment. Pretty well, everybody has sort of committed that the way they're likely to do that is to capture and store CO2. That was the, the known easier solution to latch onto. And it comes very much from the the background of the oil recovery days. So, for 50, 60 years, in pumping CO2 underground to get more oil and gas out. That's a little bit oxymoronic for what we're trying to do uh, now in terms of fossil fuels. Uh, but that has sort of created that sort of underground storage. Space. So, it's quite easy to say, we'll be net zero, we'll put it under the ground. Sort of job done as long as we get it done by 2050. The reality is that's proving harder to do. And I think there are challenges to that. Um, both in Europe and North America. Um, and therefore, there are companies like ourselves coming I mean, are now saying you know, uh, reuse is a, to start with is just, as you say yourself, it's sort of like, really isn't that just obvious that it makes much more sense to, to do something with that CO2? We often forget that we are, we are essentially built on a carbon economy. So you know, forget the CO2 being part of it, there's so much of what we do has carbon in it you know, in carbonates or uh, you know, carbon into the building. Through. So it's just a case of resourcing where we get that carbon from. So we're getting more interest in, in, in certainly in, in utilization. It has a challenge because it's it's now two steps of technology that we need, people need to get comfortable with, we need to capture. And then you also, there's another whole process to convert it into whatever it is, is your is your reused product. Um, so that's a little harder for people to get their head around. It's not a single product that we're making, so it's more of a it's a it's a looser, wider industry of technologies. So it's harder to get a single message across. Um, but we're starting to get now some coalitions of of CCU companies coming together, and we are we're, we're leading some of that charge um, to to start to get the education, the messaging uh, out there. But things like the uh certainly in the US uh, 45Q and the IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act, which increased some of the values there. Uh, The EU is currently looking at changes to, to regulations around giving more credence to utilization and mineralization. And I think as companies are realizing that underground storage isn't maybe the holy grail, or actually any single technology is not the holy grail, we're finding more and more that large emitters are Realizing that rather than trying to find the one single magic bullet, what they need to do is look, think of a portfolio of solutions. So some of the CO2 may end up going to the ground, some may be converted into calcium carbonate, some may be converted into some other product. And so we're getting much more engagement, uh, although still early days.
1: Yeah, I think uh, interesting to hear about uh, you coming together with some of the other uh, CO2 utilization companies, because it, it sort of strikes me that one of the reasons it's been slower to take uh, space in people's imagination is just simply it doesn't have that big company PR lobbying um, kind of back, background to it. Typically, it is startup companies, early stage scale up companies. So I think, yes, that that makes sense to have um, that kind of collaborative approach to, to getting on the agenda. And we, we're going to turn our attention to the, to the IRA that you mentioned, because I feel like this has probably also played a role in that. So the IRA brought all these changes in. You've mentioned forty-five uh, uh, Q, which is obviously pre-existing, but that it's sort of built on top of. But there were also sort of some interesting, um, interesting om- emissions, uh, omissions. Sorry, of,
0: mm. or I don't,
1: know, I don't know if that's the right word for it. That, that definitely affected your sector. So, tell us a bit about what worked in the IRA for you, and also, you know, what what is now uh, becoming a sort of um, kind of second strand to this yeah. in, the, in the Carbon uh, Utilisation Parity Act. So, yeah, walk us through that.
0: Yeah, great, great way of looking at it, actually, Alex. Um, so, uh, first of all, um, 45Q in itself is uh, is an interesting instrument that actually was was, was very positive and, and quite sort of groundbreaking. Um, again, interestingly, coming originally from that sort of uh, underground storage and enhanced soil recovery play. Um, yeah, it has uh, storage and utilization as two different classifications uh, for carbon capture um, and has a, has a a value per ton yeah, linked to it. So the IRA was great because it moved, it, it just put more dollars in. Uh, so for utilization, it moved it from $35 a tonne uh, to $60 a tonne, and for storage from $50 a tonne to $85 a tonne. So that in itself just puts more. Money out there, it gets investors a lot more interested in in the space. For us, in terms of uh, other things that he did in a positive sense, but so maybe maybe talk about the shortfalls. Um, it moved it to a direct pay, uh, certainly for the first period. So it previously was a, a tax credit, so you had to claim it uh, through a tax mechanism, um, or or find a way to uh, monetize that, um. It now moves into selling this for the first five years to a direct pay. Uh, so as a earlier stage business, maybe where you're not paying taxes or you don't want the complexity of selling the US as a sort of tax system, uh, you can get a direct so in our so in our case, CCU it would be that uh sixty dollars a ton. Um it also reduced the size and the way they define some of the um the the emission the emitters projects. So um you could basically do Smaller projects. I think previously it was a hundred thousand ton capture plants. It now allows you to go down to smaller plants. That fits well with us. Our, our sort of starting entry point is around a fifty thousand ton uh, capture plant, uh, and it, it also just improves some mechanisms for for trading and transferring uh, credits. And um, on the um where there's still a shortfall, and that the the broader CCU uh, industry and sort of sector looks at this. Is this somewhat nonsensical having this 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 difference between CCU and CCS? So what it's sort of done is it's made CCS look more storage more interesting because it's worth more money. So it's sort of it's just what we were talking about earlier, it it sort of incentivized the wrong behavior. Um, also um, you know, we've talked a lot, and you know, the US is a home to solving issues and problems by innovation. Um, and it's got a great track record in that so we believe that even though you do make money out of ccu products and we're a little different because we, we have a pretty highly profitable uh business model uh, uh there are quite a lot of those ccu technologies which require some form of subsidy because they have a higher cost base for things um and also there's you know, we've been we've invested a lot of money over the last 18 years researching and developing this so you need to sort of fund innovation and invention so that's what Subsequently, we've been part of supporting the the forty five key parity Act. So essentially, it says make CCU the same as CCF at eighty five dollars a ton. And um, and there's there's some good support for that in Congress. It's logical and makes sense. And we're just need to just keep putting the lobbying pressure on for that.
1: And that I think I'm right in saying that's a, a bipartisan. Um, it is, yes. Yeah. so that that also simplifies its you know journey somewhat, doesn't it?
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And I think. Um, you know, even with the uh, the uh, it was interesting the 45 I think representing that sort of bipartisan feel the 45 to the IRA increases they all survived all of the negotiations around the debt ceiling uh, agreement that was made Um, you know they all stayed in there they weren't stripped out in any way so I think that demonstrates the strong support that was on both sides uh, I think there is a there is a bigger question now as people start to look much more heavily at deployment you there's certainly an undercurrent across industries that even at $85 a ton, let's assume we get parity, for the size of the problem that we're trying to solve and to give the right incentives, it probably needs to move up more. And I think, that, I think that's where you'll see, as well as a parity act push, I think you're going to see more and more conversation around what's the, what's the next step uh, post the IRA.
1: Perhaps something more along the lines of what Germany has uh, put on the table.
0: Absolutely, yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. well, um, let's come back to um, the CCU market then. Um, Kind of you've talked a little bit about the this kind of second generation technology and the products that are coming out of that for you. What uh, alongside that, what other products um, do you think are really going to lead this kind of CO2 reuse market to, to really be a kind of more of a kind of global active marketplace? What what's what's going to define that in the next 10, 15 years, do you think?
0: I think anything where we need sources of uh, of carbon, uh, we have to um, we have to to reinvent those and actually take those. I think one of the things that there has to be a, an acceptance of, and there's there's still a challenge between in carbon capture. We have removal and reduction. Um, you know, removal is creating uh, a significant groundswell. Direct capture uh, is capturing capturing the imagination of quite a few people and investors. On um, the reduction side, there's, in some areas, there's an assumption that um, we will just stop emitting altogether. The reality is, and um, I'm sorry, but that's just—I think—that's not a not a credible way forward. Even by 2050, uh, we can reinvent and we can come up with new technologies uh, to um, to manufacture some of these key products that we need: um, you know, steel, cement, plastic, glass the world can't just suddenly do without these products and you know, they're they a fundamental part of the fabric of what we do but also there's massive invested capital in um in, in these facilities um and and jobs you know i mean uh, so you know we're partnering with with us steel um around their blast furnace and yeah you, know, you have a large plants which are employing over 3,000 people with you know been there you know nearly 100 years um so and you actually need the steel that's made in that by that, 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 that technology. So we're going to keep, keep emitting CO2 from those. What we have to do is find a way to capture it and then use it. So we now have a brand-new source of carbon that we can then push into a whole range of different industries, like carbonates, like we're working on, into the cement aggregates, rethinking building products, um, the way we make glass, um, and into some of the sort of fuels and, and organics uh led sort of people stops that traditionally have come directly from oils or natural gas
1: well you've mentioned a uh, USD. we'll we'll come back to that in a minute i just i know we've already talked about the kind of um the fact that this the reuse market has been somewhat slower to get more mainstream support we've talked about some of that i like, i just wondered like are you are you feeling the difference are you seeing the difference in uh, in support for this in terms of Business development, the pipeline that your team is forging. Does that feel is is there more pace, or is it that deal sizes are improving? Or how would you how would you qualify? Yeah, def- that?
0: definitely more more pace. Yeah, you know, we get a lot of inbound interest. Um, the uh, I think recognition that people are. What I was saying earlier, we people are looking for now for a portfolio of solutions. Um, so I would I characterize it. But I feel like two or three years ago, early when I came into this. People were out, big companies were out scouting technologies. That was the term they would use. And they'd be looking at, you know, 20, 30 different technologies, trying to find the one. Um, they're not doing that anymore. They're now, they now look, they're now trying to make, and that, of course, was just a, was, was a, you know, uh, paralysis by analysis. You know, they were just going around business models and, and ideas and costumes. So they're now looking for a number of technologies and act- actively moving forward. So our model of, you know, our first 50,000 ton capture, that is commercially viable, makes money, uh, so gives a return on the capital, rather than being a pure cost sink, and is highly attractive. to that you know, make a move uh, stance. The other piece that's starting to pick up with the CCU side is the recognition that uh, the products we make are somebody else's feedstock. So you know they go into making plastics, they go into making papers, um, they you know go into making you know, over-the-counter pharmaceuticals like uh, Tom's and Rennie's, so those companies are all now looking to reduce their carbon footprint. And um, so when they look at their carbon net zero, you know, increasing now everyone is having to look at counting their scope three emissions, so what, what is coming in. So in the case of their uh, precipitated calcium carbon that we're making from SkyCycle, it's a very high carbon intensity chemical, and we can replace the existing chemical with a carbon neutral so all of a sudden if you're you know you can you can remove hundreds of thousands if not millions of tons of import co2 that's embedded in your raw materials by going to a carbon neutral raw material and um, so the beauty of CCU is it doesn't just help the emitter it helps the whole carbon value chain and um, so actually for every ton that we capture from so for instance uh, you know from a, from a steel food stack um, actually, through the displaced calcium carbonate, saves four tons going to the environment, going out to the atmosphere. Um, so there's a huge uh, beneficial multiplier there.
1: That's a nice, uh, a good juicy stat for a for a podcast like this. Um, so then th- th- let's talk. Turn our heads again to that the uh, collaboration with US Steel. I'm I, I believe are you at MOU stage or is it?
0: Yeah, we're in we're in the we're in the uh, the final. Uh, uh, Sort of drafting the definitive agreements for first plant, yeah.
1: Okay, so what, you know, whatever you can tell us at this stage, what what can you tell us about how that's come into being and where you see that heading?
0: Yeah, so um, actually, it was a something of a sort of a tripartite introduction. We've uh, we've been working with Floor, uh, the large global EPC uh, contractor uh, engineering company. They're also large players in the um, in the steel uh, industry and in building steel plants and, and elements of the steel process. Um, and they actually introduced us because uh, US Steel was looking for technologies uh, to decarbonize. So that was a nice, it was a nice segue in because it was, uh, it was a sort of. I've spoken on a number of panels recently. Is the whole carbon capture is going to work through collaboration, um, and that was a great example of of them advocating our technology, um, which is great because obviously they're a big player. Um, US Steel was then looking for to make that first move. They love the idea of um, converting the, uh, the the gases into uh, usable products. So I mean, you know, what, uh, one of their sea uh, uh, level guys was got very excited the idea that, that blast furnished flue gas could end up in injection tablets um, that you're actually eating, and, uh, and that's a sort of a nice sweet story just sort of in itself. Um, and this allows them to get moving on with a relative, relatively low to no capital. Impact. So it's not, it's not saying you know, this is a, you know, fractional of a billion dollar project investment that that's going to take the next six to seven years. And um, this can be a very modest investment and, and is up and running and making money within two years. And um, so in the first half still of this decade, we could be capturing uh, CO2 and making a difference because we've got to start now thinking about those 2030 targets that everybody's got those into in targets. Um, and for us, getting up a first um industrial scale commercial plant um up at, and we're, we're looking at their site in gary Indiana um and then bringing our first uh, carbon neutral PCC to market is uh, is going to be a, a huge milestone for us
1: so so quite a short time frame that you're able to to do from a agreement to delivery That's... yeah we've been
0: doing a lot of work in uh, you know in, the, in preparation for this in terms of uh, of engineering and uh, uh, project development
1: one, one of the kind of slightly more uh, hyper specific or <laughs> geekier questions that our industrials always like hearing about when it when we're looking at technologies that are going to be site-based like yours is, is the kind of what's the this, this this type of size of space that something yeah. like this takes up because obviously depending on the setup they may have loads of uh, additional real estate they may not so how, how does your technology fit?
0: so really uh, not that big you'd be sort of surprised um in in uh something like the usd is great because a lot of these sites are uh significant brownfield sites so they actually have a reasonable amount of real estate and we don't need to be we, we literally take the flue gas straight from the base of the chimney think of it that way so we can be right next to it or we can be you know up to a mile or so away so so there's a lot of potential to um play around with finding the right locational on site. One of the things that you are still found is that actually we can repurpose some old buildings, actually. and um, because of the which actually is, there's um, a sort of a, an industrial rebirth play that comes with that as well.
1: Well um let's let's sort of come back then into carbon free itself. So four years into your tenure, what what is next? You know, what's what's the kind of stage and phasing of business that you're in and what's coming yeah what's coming next for you and the team
0: yeah so um we've now got a so we 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 survived through pandemic <laughs> for that which is uh it was always been challenge for a lot of uh, of companies we've our, our first generation plant here in san antonio we call that sky mine as opposed to sky cycle um is uh, running and running profitably now um so that's a that's a great place to be um and therefore generating funds to invest back into the broader business um, our first, uh, big project, which we anticipate, you know, thinking on with, with, uh, US steel, um, in the coming few months. I yeah, mean, you know, we'll be excited to, uh, um, uh, to publish that out. Um, that sets the, um, the clock ticking then on our first plant out there, allows us then to introduce, uh, our first carbon neutral PCCs out to the market. Uh, and we're getting a lot of interest, um, out there as well. Um, and then to start to, Push out to those other hard to abate sectors. We've got a lot of other interest in steel, um, which we'll want to both in in, uh, in North America and in Europe, and into a number of the other hard to abate sectors, and um, the cements, the glasses, and into some of the other um, uh, uh, refining and uh, manufacturing spaces. Um, so we've, we've we've got a a good pipeline there that we'll be working on. So we'll be really, the next stage, we'll be looking at really plans two and three. And then really, um, you know, lining the company right from a funding point of view and a, and a resources point of view um, to look at really expanding our growth.
1: Do you have uh, plans for additional funding rounds or?
0: One of the natures of this, being a, being a CEO of a company like this is from, um, literally I was on funding calls for day one <laughs> that, I, uh, that landed in the job. Um, you're always talking to to investors. It's a it's a it's a very active space uh, with the IRA, with the interest in it. You know, a lot of investors are are looking at ways that they can invest into this market, and uh, so that's it's a it's a it's a constant conversation.
1: I'm sure you know that in well, I'm sure you know that in the UK and Europe, there's been a a lot of chat over the last few months about the impact of the IRA and its potential for moving either projects or pilots or interests. Yes. Are you are you seeing that? I mean, is that a reality or is it sort of anxiety hype that we Europeans are so good at?
0: It's interesting. I mean, I think it's a great thing. Um, I mean, I think the feel that, that the Europeans and some degree Canadians as well, Tim, where we are, are uh, uh, almost feel a bit snubbed. Um, you know, after particularly maybe a feeling that the US has been dragging its people time. Uh, there's almost like there's an affront that, that they could have maybe sort of leapfrogged over. Um, but it's that's it's that's good competitive pressure, you know. It makes it, it moves us all to a better place. No, I, we are seeing some of that. Certainly, a lot of interest in real projects uh, here in the U.S. and um, not directly related to us. But we've seen certainly manufacturers move move projects to the U.S. because of of the of the IRA. Some of that's in in more of the energy transition space. But even a number of um, I think there's certainly one large carbon capture company that have moved and relocated or has located his or was this european headquarters now in the us which um, i don't know if that's directly related to that but it it feels like it's part of that same way so we need we need the, the europeans and canadians now to retaliate and pull it back and then and we'll move as you know a race a race to the top is a good one
1: no i think it was interesting how it sort of felt like there was this so it may even have only been sort of two or three months ago that I really started sensing the reality of it, but a real shift in gears and sort of a bit of sort of edgy, right, we're going to reclaim this ground. We've exactly, exactly, got to yeah. see it if it delivers, but it, it yeah. certainly feels like it has added a bit of energy back in when it was needed.
0: I agree. I agree.
1: So um, as a close out, then, you know, you, you have a, a captive audience, some of whom are industrials, some of whom are investors, some of whom are, other tech companies, policy influencers, whoever else. What would be what? What is the call to action or the kind of the, the thought that you'd like to leave people with? If you in in the context of how you know engineering and growing and scaling this CCU market, what what would you like to put in front of the audience as a as a sign off?
0: I think if uh, I, mean, my big call to action on on, uh, on carbon capture overall is. You know, get off your backsides and start doing stuff. That's, you know, that's it's. We've been in a, a position where um, we've been talking about this. A lot of great commitments have been made. Um, it's brought a lot of money into the sector. It's brought a lot of technologies and ideas. But but corporates need to start making making real projects happen. You know, the clock the clock is truly ticking on this. You know, people have made twenty thirty commitments. They've made big twenty fifty commitments. We're way behind the curve already. Still on those with the wrong enough projects out there. So make a start. And that's, that's what we believe at Carbon Free. We have a technology that's now ready to go and can be capturing CO2 within, within two years. So get on doing it. Stop, stop worrying and thinking about whether you're doing the right thing or not. And um, certainly with CCU solutions, those are much lower risk uh, because there is a return on the capital. We're making products which, which make margins, make, uh, your revenues. So it's not just a, a cost only play. Uh, I think, uh, as you know, there's a theme of this podcast obviously has been about about CCU particularly. Um, you know, I think getting a greater acceptance of CCU as a solution because of the bigger multiplier impact it can have. Um, I think starting to whether it regulates the wrong way or certainly incentivizing driving demand for lower carbon products. Ultimately the consumer is one of the biggest, strong biggest drivers for this. Um, ultimately, if we want to have Products that have green labels on them have lower carbon intensity. Um, products it will drive back up the uh, up the uh, supply chain and will require lower carbon products. And, and there, that is where CCU can really step in. And um, but for carbon free, we're we're here, we're ready to go today. We have a, proven our technology. Um, yeah, come and talk to us.
1: Oh Well, it's been um, really, really great to have you um, on the podcast. Thank you so much, Martin. And I will keep my BDI on uh, progress with US Steel. We love the team over there and um, have been uh, fortunate enough to meet them at some of our events as well. So I'll look forward to uh, reading more about the the next steps in that project. But again, thanks very much for joining us.
0: Thanks, Alex. Really appreciate it.
1: At Jano Media, we recognise that great content has the power to create impactful and positive change for lives and society. Whether that's video, live streams, photography, or podcasts, partnering with us will enable you to harness the power of content to engage, inform, and inspire. Reach out to us today.